Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is Dr. Joshua Levitt, who is a naturopathic physician who has helped thousands of patients with natural solutions to common, chronic, and complex medical problems. His primary focus is on painful orthopedic and musculoskeletal conditions and helping people understand and treat their pain at the source. Dr. Levitt is also the co-founder and medical director at UpWellness, which is an eight-figure company where he created a line of premium natural products that work. In today's episode, Dr. Levitt gives you practical tools and techniques to live your healthiest life. Welcome to Lifeology. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I can provide some value. I know you got a lot of listeners out there. I'm guessing that a few of them have some pain. So let's get into it. Yes, I'm excited about this. Now, I, I, my viewers and listeners also know, I always like to get someone's origin story. How did you decide that this is something you wanted to get into? This is a great question. So I was one of those kids that always wanted to be a doctor. Um, I went mm -hmm. to UCLA and studied neurophysiology. As a result of that uh, passion and pursuit, I thought orthopedics and sports medicine was my zone because I'm a surfer and a skateboarder, lots of fractures and sprains and strains. <laughs> After college, I took a year off um, to do kind of a travel walkabout with a backpack and hitchhiking, sleeping on beaches. Needless to say, my hygiene wasn't the greatest at that at that time, you know, living <laughs> living off of tuna fish and living out of a backpack. Um, during that time, I got a blister on my foot that became infected. I got a problem called cellulitis, and I found my way oh, yeah. into a pharmacy in Switzerland, which is where I was at the time. And I needed antibiotics desperately because this was mm -hmm. a really a very serious situation. So I got the antibiotics, which took care of that problem, which could have been like life or at least limb threatening. Yeah. But in that pharmacy, in contrast to anything I had ever seen or experienced before growing up in Southern California, coming from the land of conventional medicine, there was all this herbal stuff. There were homeopathic mm. remedies in there. There was tea, there was aromatherapy, there was all this natural medicine, right? And um, at that time, I needed antibiotics, but I also was exposed to this different world. And that yeah. world, that I saw that day on the day that I needed antibiotics kind of ironically lit up a fire in me, a passion that really is still burning hot right now. And so now I find myself on this bridge in between mainstream medicine and mm. all the beautiful things that it represents and alternative yes. medicine and all the beautiful things that are there. Yeah. And there's good and bad on both sides. So I find myself sure. now quite fat, honestly, 25 years later, um, on that bridge, navigating that interface between the West mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. the conventional medicine and alternative mm -hmm. medicine. And that, that's where I am now. 
That's amazing. It's, it's so interesting. The past uh, maybe four or five uh, interviews I've done, everyone seems to be trying to not trying finding that space as well from different different verticals or different backgrounds, looking to merge as much as they can from um, from just naturopathic to Western uh, medicine as well. But what's interesting though is I, I'm curious since you're more of a pioneer in this, if for lack of better words, how are you finding that some of your colleagues may not yet be on board with the merging of those two worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's funny. I think of myself sometimes it's crazy to think it's been like 25 years since I've been practicing <laughs> natural medicine. I'm kind of like an OG, you know, which is weird because I don't think of myself that way, but this was a time when organic food was just catching on whole foods. Wasn't really a thing. And now it's like, wow. Um, so yeah, where are my colleagues on this? This is a great question. You know, there are some people that are fully on board, that are fully on board. Mm -hmm. But the way I would describe the answer to that is on both sides, like in, in, in the alternative or natural medicine world and in the conventional medicine world, you have dogma and there and, and a negative dogma. And that dogma is on the natural medicine side that all Western medicine is bad, right? It's profit driven, mm -hmm. big pharma, bad, bad, bad. And then on the conventional or, or, you know, mainstream medical side, you have a dogma that says, all natural is bad. It's just quackery. It's just a bunch of snake oil. Mm -hmm. And so I don't believe that either of those positions are true. I think there's value sure. on both sides. And I think that the smartest, most progressive minds on in both of those worlds understand that there is a limitation to their knowledge base, right? So a, yes. a, a really smart, progressive acupuncturist is going to understand that there's value in what they do, but there's also a limit to what they do. And I think the same thing should be true for a neurosurgeon or an orthopedic sure. surgeon or a gastroenterologist or whatever. So that's how I would answer that is that there's, there's still some work to do. There's no question. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, so in my field, so with my clinical license, I, and just with yours as well, you have to stay within the parameters of what that is. And so I know, okay, well, I, I can't talk to someone about this because it's not, it's not within the, the purview of the scope of my licensure. I think that's a good point when it comes to different medical providers or whomever, whatever side, um, to be really specific about what is within that spectrum. And so I think sometimes it can be clouded. I know at times I had to be careful because I'm like, oh, that's a cloudy, but remember when yeah. I really go back to what is the scope of my practice, I have to be really specific about that. So I think and maybe I think sometimes you're people so, just You're get lost so right it. about that. And and I think the, the problem, I think we, we wind up with a lot of ego or hubris in, in Western medicine that, mm -hmm. that like we're here in this country and this is different. This is why my experience in Switzerland was so different over there in Europe and mostly in, in the rest of the world, there's this acceptance that older natural medicines are still are still useful but here in this country i think with the growth of better living living through chemistry big pharma and modern surgical techniques that like we think that western medicine has all the answers right it's just mm, drugs yeah. and surgery and i think that's a huge mistake because it leads to high cost it leads to excessive or overuse yeah. of interventions like drugs and surgery um mm -hmm. and it's it's really easy to get an mri and say like Oh, there's something I saw that was abnormal on that MRI. Surgeon said I need surgery. It must be true. Well, yeah. I'm here to tell you, it's not always true. There's a there's sure. a lot of room to work in the natural medicine realm, even in things that most people wouldn't think of, like orthopedics, mm -hmm. for example, or musculoskeletal pain, that would lend themselves to a natural approach. So yeah, so yeah. it's it's a you bring up a really interesting point there and, and a problem. I think we have some growth to do in Western medicine here. Oh, certainly. One of my friends is an MD PhD and he was doing a lecture at a conference. And he was talking about the, the naturopathic aspects of it. And a lot, there's a lot of the, the MDs were scoffing. So he, had, he pulled out this baggie and inside of it was, um, was poison ivy. And so he was like, who wants to touch this? And everyone's like, no, I don't want to touch it. And he says, why? And then of course it's poison ivy. And he said, well, do you see how the, how 
much of a response your body gets just by touching that. And so it was a really good example of the power of the naturopathic aspect because there is so much there that people automatically have an aversion to it so it was it was really interesting it, it kind of made them look at okay maybe maybe there's something so that was how we started this lecture and it went pretty well <laughs> yeah that's a good way to do it i mean I, I mean thinking of i think a lot of those that scoffing comes from oh those medicines are just you know it's like chamomile tea or something right it can't yeah. be very strong but when you think of like what what harm can be done by things that are natural <laughs> yeah that changes the uh the way that these, really that these docs are going to think about it. And yes, there's a lot of power there um, on, on for the good that. and for the dangerous in the natural medicine yeah. world as well. So that's a that's a good way to start a lecture. I'm going to have to use that one. There's plenty of poison <laughs> ivy around here right now. <laughs> I'm sure there is. <laughs> we'll be right back. Are you an emerging persona or a global organization that isn't getting recognition from the press? Have your marketing and advertisement efforts hit a plateau? Let us help you take your brand to the next level. Red Heifer Media is a full-service boutique public relations agency specializing in health and wellness, tech, real estate, and nonprofit organizations. We can turn your successful company into a reputable brand. Take your first step and visit www.redheifermedia.com. Once again, visit www.redheifermedia.com to take your brand to the next level. Welcome back. I'm James Miller. You're listening to Lifeology Radio. I'm currently speaking with Dr. Josh Levitt, who is a naturopathic physician. We're talking about his expertise of helping people with orthopedic and musculoskeletal conditions and helping them understand and treat their pain at the source. For more information about Dr. Joshua Levitt, please visit upwellness.com. Now, with all the patients that you see, you either see them you know, in your clinic or through upwellness, all the different aspects that you do. What do you find is the common struggle with uh, the inflammation or the pain that people have? Yeah. So, so much of my practice and the work that I do is devoted to people who have musculoskeletal pain. And mm -hmm. I think that in the, in the, in piggybacking on what we just said about the Western medical approach, the idea there is just to suppress the symptoms, you know, and that might be yeah. drugs that are anti-inflammatory or injections mm -hmm. or uh, surgical, uh, you know, debridements like a meniscus repair or even a full-blown knee replacement, that, that sort of thing. And so my work I think tries to be more holistic or comprehensive. Like the way I like to say it is that I, I've never seen like a knee come in my office or a hip or a heart or a kidney, right? It's always so far been inside of a person, right? So there's a problem, there's a symptom, <laughs> yeah. and then there's a person in whom that problem, that joint, that organ, that symptom resides. And so when we pull back and take a look at that whole person in whom that painful knee resides, you start to see different things. And it's not just like, oh, mm. that knee needs to be replaced. So I would go through a, a, a few things, you know, when I have a person who has some kind of joint pain or musculoskeletal pain. And the, the big areas where I like to look, there are four of them. One of them is at inflammation, but not just inflammation, excessive inflammation, more inflammation mm. than there ought to be given the, the stimulus. And we can talk more about that, but excessive yeah, inflammation okay. will be number one. Um, number two would be myofascial tension, muscular, you know, muscle or fascia, which en envelops the muscle in a tense or fibrotic state so that that, the, okay. that muscle tension can exacerbate or cause pain mm -hmm. that you can't see on an image like an x-ray or an MRI. Um, number three would be fibrosis. And fibrosis is something a lot of people don't think about too much. And that's basically gristle, right? It's scar tissue formation, mm -hmm. which occurs at the site of a chronically irritated or injured area or something that was acutely or seriously injured in the past. One of the yeah. reasons why an old knee injury might turn into an arthritic joint later is because there's all this fibrosis and scar tissue around it. So we have inflammation, muscle tension, and fibrosis. And then the fourth, and one that I think is 
especially important, and I'm sure you can relate to more than most people, given your your background, um, is psychosomatization, right? The yeah, mind yeah, body influence, yeah. right? The influence that the, the our perceptions of pain and the stories we tell ourselves about the pain that we have have a massive influence on our experience of that pain or of that symptom. So when we tackle those four those four subjects, the inflammation, the tension, the fibrosis, and then that whole psychological, emotional piece, mm-hmm. people get better. You know, people can get yeah. better from really serious things. And it sounds like you really listen to your patients because, I mean, not that other people don't, but sometimes with you. Well, the concept, right? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, sometimes when you have an intake with, with a doctor, um, it's, it's very short and it's, it's for whatever reason, you know, they're very busy, et cetera. But it sounds like you really take that time with your patients to understand those minimum of those four, those four um, categories to help them be able to tell their story. And I think sometimes when people feel heard that they jo- emotionally join with you and then yes, they're on board with whatever, whatever treatment modalities you have. And I wanted to ask you, so when you talk about the excessive inflammation, is that something I would be able to recognize? Oh, this is excessive. Or is that something you would have to be able to tell? Yeah, that is a great question. You know, there's a lot of different ways to recognize it. Inflammation is a is a word that's named after fire. Um, inflammo, it means to set ablaze. And and inflammation and fire have a lot of similarities. They're hot, they're red, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they, they, they bear a lot of similarities. And what we're talking about here is a, a response. Inflammation is a biological imperative, right? People think it's just bad. We should suppress it, but it's not. It's, it's, it's a good thing. It's necessary for healing from injury or infection. Mm-hmm. What happens when it gets excessive, which is something that both doctors and patients themselves can notice, is an exaggerated response to whatever the stimulus may have been, right? So it could be a mosquito bite or you stubbed your toe or you have an autoimmune disease. And if that problem is redder, hotter, more painful, more swollen than one would expect, either clinically, like looking at the mm-hmm. knee or the finger, mm-hmm. or on laboratory tests, and there's many different tests that can be used to assess this, things like sedimentation rate and CRP, we can get into the details later, um, mm-hmm. that's the problem. And and when, because a healthy, well-modulated inflammatory response is like a fire. It's just like fire. Yeah. If, if we we use fire to cook, we use it to to keep ourselves mm-hmm. warm. But sure. when fire escapes the the stove and catches the house yeah. on fire or escapes the the uh, the fire pit, it's very destructive. And the same thing with inflammation. Contained and controlled, it's fine. When it escapes and it becomes excessive or out of control, it's a devastating force, just like a fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I like how you really normalize inflammation is not necessarily a bad thing. And I think it's sometimes we often think it is because, oh, I'm inflamed, you know, whatever. And so therefore there must be a negative aspect that's attributed to that, which is, I'm glad you. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting thing, right? What a balance that is. I mean, if you don't have inflammation, then you can't ever heal or recover or you mm-hmm. know deal with an infection. It's a, it's a, absolutely a biological imperative, but it's also at the same time, one of the most destructive forces and associated with virtually every chronic disease we know. Yeah. So that's a, tr- that's a tricky balance. To yeah. There. <laughs> you know, you understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Going to the myofascial aspect of it, can you explain more about what that is? And, uh, you know, people who go to the gym, they use their foam rollers, et cetera. Can you talk more about that? So maybe some practical tools that we can use today to help us? Yeah, for sure. Let's, let's start with just an example that kind of frames this really well. It's so common for people to have had a, a kind of a minor, let's say a fender bender kind of accident, right? A little mm-hmm. bump, wasn't anything too serious, you know, didn't call the paramedics or anything like that. Just a little jolt and everything's kind of okay. They go, go change, exchange insurance and go about your business. And then the next day or two days later, it's a nightmare, right? 
yeah. neck pain, back pain, whatever the case may be. What's going on there? Was the, was the original injury so, so serious? No, because if it was that serious of an injury, you would have called the paramedics right mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. It was a minor injury, relatively speaking, with a major response. And the major response very often is muscle tension. So muscle tension is actually protective, believe it or not. Maybe there was an injury to the neck or mm-hmm. whatever joint. And then the muscle tension is a part of the biological response, not unlike inflammation, to protect you in the same way that we put a cast or a splint on an injured joint to pr- prevent it from moving. Mm-hmm. Muscle tension is a protective response to prevent a person from moving an otherwise uh, injured area. Now, here's the problem. When that muscle tension is exaggerated, just like excessive, or persists for extended periods, it becomes part of the problem. So a tender Uh, or tense muscle around a knee that was minorly injured will cause that knee to be more problematic and more painful for an extended period. And there's all kinds of reasons why muscles excessively spasm or become excessively tense or stay Mm -hmm. excessively tense for extended periods. And those really come down to like diet, lifestyle, posture, stress, all these kinds of things that, that increase the risk that a person's going to have an exaggerated muscle tension response. Mm -hmm. So that, that, Mm -hmm. that's how that goes. And, and I, I, the other example, you know, that, that I think is worth noting is that when you have those risk factors in place, it's really rare that you're going to go get a massage and then feel better for many, many yeah. months after that, right? It's, yeah. it, these are temporary <laughs> solutions because yeah. it's great. Hot tub, massage, acupuncture needles, foam rollers, whatever. Those are great for addressing muscle tension, but they rarely provide long-term extended relief mm. because the underlying factors that led to that muscle tension in the first place haven't been addressed. Sure. So yeah, that's the that's work fair. that I do. Yeah, that's that's. Fantastic. In fact, I should have, I didn't think about this until just now. I have one of those um, those muscle guns. It's a muscle relaxing gun, so it has like the different attachments. So if, if yeah, so I I <laughs> I don't know what's going on. The last couple of days, I slept wrong, and so like right around my scapula, there's like this huge knot, and so I'm like trying to use that that little muscle gun to to get to it. But yeah, I mean things like that. It's the natural things of just you're not whether it's an accident or not an accident. You just sleep wrong. It's those things can really be debilitating and. It's interesting how, you know, people just have something even in their shoe and that's all they can think about. So I'm, I can't imagine how it is for people who have chronic pain or just even yeah. any type of pain at all that's constantly present. And so their threshold has been increased. And so therefore, you know, from a psychological approach, individuals like that who are struggling with that, I can't imagine how their mood would be, how their sleep would be, how their, how their interaction and how they show up in the world because it's such a chronic struggle. Absolutely. And it's, and, it, and that's actually that, that, that fourth piece, right? It's so critical because as, as you're well acquainted, like pain is a, a, a signal, right? It's a messenger and it tells our brain that there is danger, right? So like I always use the example of, again, fire, right? If you put your hand near a fire, it's going to start getting really hot and then it's going to come in, become intolerably hot. And yeah. then you're, you're going to have pain and that's going to tell you to move your hand away from the fire. It's very primitive, right? So like Mm -hmm. pain kicks up fear and then changes our behavior, like move hand away from fire, right? It's really simple. But when a person has a chronic thing, like a chronic arthritic kind of degenerative sort of thing, they kick up those same emotional reactions, right? It generates fear. And and then it Mm. wraps up in the stories that we tell ourselves. Am I not going to be able to perform in my sport? Am I not going to be able to make... Make, do my job and make my money? Am I not going to be able to walk? You know, and then those mm-hmm. stories get told and retold through ever through our own internal filters based on our own experiences and backgrounds. And yeah, all of a sudden, something that was a minor annoyance turns into mm-hmm. 
a major disruption. And um, yeah. if that part's not addressed, you know, you're never going to get complete resolution, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. And unfortunately, and with situations like that as well, I think if people aren't aware of it, then that pain becomes the, the label of who they are. I am James who has chronic pain. And once again, yeah. not minimizing anyone's struggle at all because it, pain is pain, but it's important not to, it's important to make sure that we don't label that as who we are because there's so many more facets of who we are to be able to move the focus of our life in other directions as opposed to whatever the struggle uh, struggle is. A hundred percent. You're, you're good at this. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, got I've it. done it for 25 years too. <laughs> I wanted right. to transition though into the gastrointestinal health and the gut health. Uh, what is something, because it, it's, as you know, well, of course, you know, it's all links together as either, was it 90% you know, of uh, serotonin is created in your gut, 50% of dopamine is created in your gut as well. What are ways in which you help your patients really be mindful of that, of that struggle over the gastrointestinal? Um, it is. It, I, I think like there's, I, I'm pretty sure it was Hippocrates, you know, the father of modern medicine that said all disease begins in the gut. Right. And this was at a time before mm -hmm. he knew very much about, you yeah, know, the really. gastrointestinal <laughs> microbiome or anything like that. Um, but I think there's a lot of truth there. Um, the gut is um, exposed to the outside world. If you think about it that way, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a, you know, it's a tube that runs through our body that's exposed to the outside world, right? The foods that we eat and whatnot. Mm, if that at, tube yeah. is compromised, right? If there's a permeability problem, um, or if there is a problem in this ecosystem of microorganisms that mm -hmm. inhabit our GI mm -hmm. tract, all hell can break loose, quite frankly. And, um, yeah. it can be the origins of diseases that are, that, both inside the gut and outside the gut, including neuropsychiatric problems and immune system mm -hmm. problems and mm -hmm. all endocrine disorders all can have their root in this, in, in, in the GI tract. So I would say, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of different things to address and every patient is different, but first the diet, yeah. which we want to be minimally processed whole foods, you know, kind, kind of diet. I, I call it down to earth eating the sort of perimeter of the grocery store foods that mm -hmm. look <laughs> like they did when they came out of the farm or the field, or as, at least as close to that as possible. And then I put a lot of attention on a person's ability to digest food um, and okay. break it down into its component parts. And that's the reason why digestive enzymes are such an important part of my practice mm. and my sort of clinical toolkit. Um, I also put a lot of focus on the health and diversity and balance of the GI microbiome, which is that ecosystem mm -hmm. of trillions. It's crazy. It's trillions of microorganisms yeah. living there, tens of thousands of different species. And you know, a decreasing diversity there can lead to health problems across the board. So probiotics mm. and restoration, yeah, yeah. I, I, you kind of think of it like a garden metaphor, like you got to kill the weeds, you got to plant the new seeds and you got to nourish those seeds. So that you have a, a, a lush, diverse, healthy garden because it translates to, to broad overall health. Mm. And then I use also a lot of adaptogenic herbs, which are, which are herbs that help with stress management because stress yeah. has such a major impact on the GI tract. So yeah, that's uh, that, those are my big tools. I would say digestive enzymes, probiotics, and adaptogenic herbs. Interesting. We only have about a minute and a half left, but I want to transition to up wellness. Tell us about that because I know you have a lot of supplement lines that I'm sure address everything we've discussed today. Yeah, yeah, we do. And Up Wellness is a is 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 a company that I created, co-founded. That's basically a whole bunch of different formulations that are based on my twenty plus years of clinical experience. So what what basically happened was, you know, I'm seeing patients and I'm using formulas. I'm mixing herbal tinctures, just like an mm -hmm. old school sort of apothecary doctor, um, and realizing mm -hmm. that there's some gaps in the products that are available. And so Up Wellness was born of that need, right? Of of, of the need to sort of create formulas that make Made sense uh, for yeah. the patient populations that I was seeing, and for me to be able to reach people with the kind of advice 
and products that I use in my clinic to people that are outside of my clinic, you know, living in other states, living all around the world. So my way of kind of outreach and filling gaps in, in supplement formulations and reaching people that I couldn't otherwise reach. And that's what Up Wellness is. Wow. I really like that. I mean, nowadays we were talking about this in the pre-call as far as how it's, it's amazing how with technology nowadays, we, we can have a brick and mortar place somewhere, but you're going to have a reach and it affects so many people worldwide. So I'm really glad that you guys are doing so well and being once again, pioneers in this industry as well. We only have a couple more seconds here. What's next for you? What's next for me? So it's, it's, it's basically just more education, um, re- reaching more people with more products. That's what Up Wellness is all about. I'm re- really leaning heavily into the education side of things. Um, and that's really where I see it. I think people need to be educated about the kind of things we talked about today, which is why it's yeah. such a pleasure to be here. And there's just going to be more of that coming online every day now. Well, wonderful. It's an honor to have you on my show. Unfortunately, our time is up. If my viewers and listeners want to find out more information about you and to purchase your products and learn more about Up Wellness, where will they find all this information online? It's easy. That's a great question. Check out upwellness.com, www.upwellness.com. I'm also on Instagram. That's at Dr. Josh Levitt, Dr. Josh Levitt. And then they can even find me on TikTok these days at Up Wellness, where we get a lot of views over there as well. I'll see you there. Well, awesome. My viewers and listeners also know that if you can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerlifeology.com and I'll link you with Dr. Joshua Levitt at upwellness.com. Thanks so much for being a fantastic guest on my show today. It was a pleasure. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.